Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning, everyone. We're in the middle of our prosperity month, and we're using Edwin Gaines' The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity, and we'll have a couple more weeks of that. This week, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and it might not be an obvious leap from forgiveness to prosperity. And so I think one place I want to start is with a bit of an experiential. So if you're willing, I'd like you to close your eyes for a minute and just rest comfortably. And you know how we can use, uh, I don't know, we might be the only animals in existence that can actually use their brains as a bit of a time machine. And so what I'd like you to do is roll back a few of the years and think of a time when you were treated poorly. So just for the sake of a few minutes here, think of a time when you were treated poorly. Maybe someone fired you without cause. Maybe someone left you without adequate resources. Or, or maybe someone reneged on a promise and you were affected badly. Someone may have neglected their duties to you. Maybe someone uh, just did something that just really cut at you in a way, in, a, in an emotional way. And so once you have that, that picture in your mind of what happened, now I'd like you to see if you can rummage around in your brain to remember how it felt. What was the feeling like when that happened? Was it grief? Was it anger? Was it disappointment or rage? What did that feel like when that person treated you poorly? And then once you've identified that feeling, see if you can figure out where in your body those kinds of feelings might be stored. Are you feeling your shoulders tense up a little bit when you think of it? Could it perhaps produce a little bit of an upset or acidy feeling in your stomach? You know, some people literally will feel a catch in their throat if it's maybe around a, a fearful incident or a tightness in their abdomen. Just see, just see if you can see in your own body where you might have stored up some of those emotions that went with this time when you were treated poorly. Okay, now let's allow that feeling to dissipate. I don't want anyone to, you know, go home feeling like, uh, feeling like that. And in fact, I'd invite you to use your memory one more time and think of a time when you were given something particularly wonderful. Picture a time in your life when just the best thing ever was presented to you. Now, now maybe you received an award or something and just felt fulfilled for your efforts being recognized. Maybe it was a promotion or a large sum of money. Maybe someone made a lifelong commitment to you out of love or friendship. Maybe it was a gift of great emotional value, something that a relative once had that is now yours to treasure. Just picture in your mind a time when you were given something particularly special and wonderful.
And once again, see if you can identify a feeling that might have gone with that. If you could put yourself in those shoes again, what might you be feeling? Is it a fullness? Is it a sense of feeling loved or joy? Maybe a sense of success or fulfillment? And then the last little bit, see if you can notice in your body how that feeling of this wonderful gift might have been expressed. Was it a sense of expansion in your chest, a, a fullness of your heart? Maybe a sense of completion or acceptance? Some people report feeling kind of a groundedness, like all is right in the world. All right, once you have uh, felt that, you can bring yourself back to the present time and open your eyes again. So what I hope you had just a sense of is something that Edwin Gaines calls the difficulty in receiving when we have resentments. And her theory is, and I think it's a good one, that we can't both be resentful and aware of God as, as full of opportunity and receiving at the same time. And it kind of makes sense. I'm sure that you would be, I mean, it'd be impossible to be both angry and content at the same time. It would be uh, impossible to feel great joy and despair at the same time. I mean, I, may, I know it makes sense at a feeling level. She takes it one step further, though, and says that if we have those kinds of emotions of kind of feeling the victim, kind of feeling that sense of being uh, what one person called the butt end of the universe. Have you ever had one of those days when you're the butt end of the universe? One of those days where every single thing goes wrong, where it seems like people are cutting you off on the freeway for no reason, and you know you get the wrong change at the supermarket, and you know it's just like one. So, so her theory is, and I think it's a powerful one, is that when we are feeling that way, we might even overlook the good of the universe that's right in front of us. And I want to actually use a famous example. This was written up in the New York Times uh, probably about two years ago. It's an article that I saved out, waiting for the right time, and this is the right time. So a woman in New York City had the habit every week of stopping in at the same convenience store, and she would buy 20 lottery tickets, and she would check out how the one she bought the previous week did. And it was just a habit that she did once a week coming home. And as it happens, this one particular time that she did this, there were a couple witnesses to what took place. Of course, she was a witness to what took place. The store owner or the store manager, I guess you would say, was a witness to what took place. And the person next in line at the convenience store was a witness to what took place. And yet, you will notice a couple very different views of what took place. So the woman who had the lottery tickets had been having one heck of a day. Maybe she had been the butt end of the universe that day. I don't know. But she'd been arguing with her daughter on the way home from school. Um, she recently had lost her job. She was in no mood for things to be upsetting or crazy. So she stands in line at the convenience store. And they have those kind of machines so that if you buy a bunch of lottery tickets, you can pretty quickly verify whether you have won something or not. And the ones in New York City apparently go bleep if you've won something and bah 
If you haven't won something. And so she's standing in line and it's bah, bah, bah. And so she runs through her 20 lottery tickets and, you know, there she is. She throws them in the trash. And the store owner also heard 20 blah. However, the woman behind her in line heard a bleep. And so when she was finished making her, she was on her way to a wedding and she just had stopped to, to buy some gum. I think she was one of the bridesmaids and wanted to make sure her breath was fine and looking forward to a wonderful day. And she swears it was very clear that the third or fourth lottery ticket hadn't been the negative sound at all, but it actually indicated that she would need to take a ticket to the manager and see if she had won something. And so when the woman was getting re the initial woman was getting to, ready to leave, the woman on her way to the wedding reached down into the trash, pulled out the 20 lottery tickets that were in front and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And so she fed them into the machine and sure enough on about the fourth or the fifth ticket, bleep. Over $1.2 million. Now, the reason that the article was in the New York Times was because they were all suing each other. The initial woman said, I bought the tickets. It doesn't matter how it was discovered that one of them was a winner. I bought those tickets. They were mine. The store owner was suing because things deposited in the trash belonged to the property of the store. Obviously, they were discarded and of no value, so therefore the store owner did it. And the woman who actually won, the woman who actually had discovered it, the reason she did it in front of the other woman was she wanted to share. The plan was... Right? I mean, she could have taken the tickets. She could have waited and, you know, gone to a different store or something. No. She, you know, it's an honest mistake, right? This person doesn't know that she won. Maybe we'll share. She's being sued too. <laughs> so what I want to ask you, though, is do you see who was ready to actually hear? Who was ready to actually receive? It was the woman looking forward to a grand day at a wedding. It wasn't the woman who had been having a terrible day and in an argument with her daughter. It wasn't the store manager who hated his job and felt it was beneath him to be working there. It was the woman whose heart was open and ready to enjoy life. What do we do every day that perhaps prevents us from receiving the joy, the riches, the love of the universe that's right in front of us. Edwin Gaines says it's our resentments. And she makes a case for resentments on two levels. One of them is the typical level that you might imagine. Someone, as I asked you in our little meditation, someone did you wrong, right? Someone treated you poorly. And so it's perhaps only natural that we might have a resentment. Hopefully it doesn't last forever. Hopefully the situations arise that allow us to forgive that other person. And yet, and yet if you recall that, 
when you recall that wrong that was done to you and it still brings up a little heat, it still brings up a little uh, sadness or feel of betrayal, there's still forgiveness work to be done. You're still closing down your heart a little bit and when our hearts are closed, we're very unable to see the possibilities before us of love, of joy, the opportunities that might be right in front of us for increasing our ability to enjoy our own lives. It's almost like we're holding that other person hostage, but who's really the hostage? It's our own heart. It's our own life. So I think all of us have probably experienced someone in the past that, you know, whether it's an ex-husband, whether it's a, an ex-boss, somehow they always get exes in front of them. I don't know why. <laughs> My guess is whatever they did was so bad, we exed them out. <laughs> so I think all of us have experienced something like that. But Edwin Gaines says there's something even more important that needs to be forgiven. And I managed to find a joke to illustrate it. So a man died and went to St. Peter at the gates of heaven for judgment day. And St. Peter says to him, before you meet with God, I thought I'd better warn you. We've looked into your life thoroughly and you didn't particularly do anything good. We're not at all sure what to do with you. In fact, could you tell us anything about your life that might help us make a decision? Well, the guy's scrambling a little bit and finally comes up with something. Well, one time I was driving along and came upon a woman who was being harassed by a group of bikers. She was really in a pickle. She might have been beaten or worse. So I pulled over. I got out a tire iron from my trunk and I went up to the leader of the bikers. He was a big dude, merciless with tattoos all over his body, a ring piercing his nose. Well, I tore that ring out of his nose and I demanded that he stop bothering the woman or they would have to deal with me. Well, I'm impressed, said St. Peter. When did this happen? Oh, he replied, just a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I know, it's one of the lamer ones. I apologize for that. But the idea is what closes our hearts are the judgments. We are the most judging creatures. On, well, I guess it makes sense. We'd be the most judging creatures on the planet. But you know what? I think we Americans even maybe have uh, ramped it up to a fine art. Aren't we in judgment anytime someone does something that we don't expect or we would have liked to have been different? It's almost though if someone in any way kind of goes sideways from what we would have wanted or what we would have expected, we automatically go to that place of, well, obviously she doesn't know what he's doing. Obviously he's an idiot. Obviously, something needs to happen here because, of course, my opinion would be the right one. And a lot of our uh, judgments, if you will, are about small, everyday matters. And by that, I mean we have lots of them. For instance, at my household, we have the paper product issue. <laughs> Apparently, I am the only person who can go to the basement to resupply paper products that are out. <laughs> Apparently the way is just lost to my partner and roommates. 
I mean, it is a whole stair that one would have to go down. And all I know is the toilet roll is always empty when I need it. And when there's a spill in the kitchen, we're always out of paper towels because I'm the only one who can use those stairs to go into, do you see what I mean? Now, is there anyone on board with this with me? For you, it might be, why am I the only one that does the dishes? For you, it might be, why does she never wash the car when she gets that money? For you, it might be the person that does who knows what. In fact, I think Daniel has for me, why am I the only one that feeds the dogs in the morning, right? Because it goes both ways, of course it does. For every annoyance that you see in the world, you are probably equally annoying <laughs> to someone else. And in fact, you can probably ask your partner and they'll describe your annoyance <laughs> values to you without any problems at all. And what I know is that when we harbor these petty resentments, our heart closes up. Our ability to really take in the goodness that's around us all the time diminishes. And when we hold on to those resentments little by little, day after day, we've all had the experience of a blowout, right? When the thing wasn't the thing. Remember the last time you had a, a jolly good argument with your best friend or your spouse or someone that you care a whole lot about and then the next day you went, what were we arguing about? It's because the thing wasn't the thing. The thing really was that you had stuffed down some petty resentments, sometimes when you felt hurt, sometimes when you felt shortchanged or not understood enough or not loved enough until one day it just went, Patui. And suddenly there was this spewing action of unkind words and unkind thoughts for seemingly no reason at all. For the roll of toilet paper. For the who fed the dog this morning. We really can't afford to have our petty resentments. We really can't afford to be unforgiven because when we are unforgiven, we are shortchanging ourselves. Now, we all have reasons for, for wishing that people had behaved differently. I totally get that. And sometimes people do amazingly cruel things. And so I'm not suggesting we should forgive what happened. I'm not suggesting that we should roll over and welcome the thought of being treated badly again. And in fact, I'm the first person that will tell you if you're in some kind of danger, it's appropriate to get help. It's appropriate to leave a situation that's bad. It's what you should do. It's like get out of a bad relationship if there is abuse or trouble or violence going on. Absolutely. Sometimes our emotions and our resentments are there so that we act upon them, so that we do something, so that we make ourselves safe, so that we, we see a counselor, you know, whatever it might be, we do what's necessary. But how often are our resentments not leading us to take any action. Probably 99% of the time. 99% of the time when the, the, the crazy guy on the freeway cuts you off, what's to be done about it? 
Nothing really. We can beep our horn and do odd gestures, <laughs> but, uh, but like, does that solve anything or does it just close my heart up more? Does it get me to the point where pretty soon I don't even want to drive on the freeway anymore because I've stuffed down resentments too much around other drivers? Do you see, as we close our heart, we dampen our possibilities. As we close our ability to love other people through petty resentments, we begin to close off our supply of all good things. The love, the joy, the peace, the material wealth. It's like the woman at the lottery who could not hear the optimistic beep and was filtering her life because she felt her life wasn't optimistic right then. She had every reason to believe, oh, I've done 20 lottery tickets for five years and I'm not going to win anything today. And so she didn't. Well, I want to give you a few tips and we're going to run through these a little quickly, but I think they'll make sense to you. So in Edwin Gaines' books, she recommends five different practices for forgiveness. The first one is kind of the easiest one and it's the one I like. So if you're in the mood for taking notes, make sure you grab this one. And it's simply, as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as something happens that's not to your liking, in that instant when normally we might reach for judgment, she suggests doing a blessing instead. She suggests replacing the reaction of anger or the reaction of hurt with a simple blessing. And you know, one that we use in Science of Mind all the time is, I raise you, I praise you in the name of love. So when you're cut off in the, on the freeway, I raise you, I praise you in the name of love. When someone hangs up on you on the phone or when you're talking to Comcast Cable as I did the other day and getting really frustrated, it's like under my breath, instead of the words I might have been saying under my breath, I was saying, I praise you, I raise you in the name of love. It may not seem natural at first, but boy, it can make the difference between closing your heart and having it open to really listen to the possibilities ahead. The next thing that she suggests, and this one I think is a little, bit, uh, a little bit harder, but nonetheless very powerful, and that's to have a nightly forgiving practice. And her recommendation, or the way she looks at it is, every night, perhaps even in bed as you're drifting off to sleep, is there anyone I've put outside of my heart today? And if so, to offer them a little prayer of forgiveness. So, so, did someone treat me poorly today? Was the checker at the Fred Meyer store, you know, kind of brusque or gave me the wrong change and I was kind of feeling like, you know, to heck with her? Is there someone that I put outside of my heart circle today? Someone that I'm putting that block up? You know, we might think of it almost as building a shield, and I think that's where the idea of unforgiveness comes from. Someone does something to us that just seems unforgivable. And so I'm going to put up a shield so they can't do it again. And I build this wall of feeling and anger or sadness or disdain, whatever it is. I build a nice wall in front of me without realizing it, of course, 
Now I'm walking around with a wall. And even though it may be someone next I encounter that I care for very much, it's going to it's going to take me a while before the shields can come down. I, I don't work that quick. I don't just do that. And so during that whole process of, of both wanting protection and not wanting protection, I'm using up a lot of energy. I'm creating stress for myself when, if instead, I just bless the situation. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, we act upon an unpleasant situation if it's worth it to us. If it's going to really make a change, we act on it. But if not, let us just bless it. I raise the guy on the freeway. I praise the guy on the freeway in the name of love. The next one I'm going to look forward to doing in January. Every January, I look at my intentions for the year, and I do a little bit of an evaluation of how the last year went. And Edwin Gaines has an an annual forgiveness inventory, which I think is fascinating. Her idea, and I'm going to try it um, this January when I do my my kind of annual review. She says, look over everything that happened in the last year, and is there something that you're holding a grudge about? Look over all of the perhaps kind of negative things that happened if you had some that year. And am I harboring any ill feelings around anything that happened? Am I holding on to the presidential debates and that's going to be in my heart as a rotten thing for years to come, right? I'm just using just a crazy example. (laughs) But we look back in review of what went on in our year and am I holding someone accountable for me being like a victim? Was I the butt of something that happened? Am I, am I still feeling angry over so-and-so that did such-and-such? Or, or the check that never came? Or the whatever it might be? And if so, she said, you owe it to yourself to do something about it. We either raise them and praise them, or we use some other means, which gets me to the very last of her suggestions here. And that is the power of writing things down. She, in her book, uses a couple examples where she has written letters to people as a, as a method of writing out, like literally out of her body, writing out the anger, writing out the hurt, and claiming forgiveness. And so, uh, I, you know, I, it would be interesting to meet Edwin Gaines' ex-husband sometime, because, of course, he he's many of her examples in the book, the poor guy. And, uh, <laughs> and one of her letters starts out like, you know, dear so well, his name, I forget his name, but dear so-and-so, I'm writing to you to let you know that I am still really angry about how you abandoned me and my unborn child when I was 20 years old. I'm still feeling the pain that you did that. Today I'm still feeling how uh, lonely I felt when you did it. And I'm still, I have to admit, feeling a little bit of the idea of abandonment still exists with me today. But today I'm also willing to release the last of it. I'm going to write down my pain for the last time. And today I forgive you because I need to move on. And so she wrote the letter and she burned it. She didn't need to send it anywhere. It was for her. 
And so you might use your journal. You might use this technique of getting over some kind of a, a heartfelt grudge, some kind of a smallness to, again, the idea is we open our hearts so that we can gain freedom, so that we can move forward in the world. Well, I'm going to close today with a, a reading from uh, Edwin Gaines. This is how she closes out this chapter on forgiveness. But I also have a tiny bit of homework for you. Would you be willing this week to do that inventory? Would you be willing to look over your last year and think of the times when people have shortchanged you, given you a bad time, sometime this last year where you've maybe felt a little bit put upon or a little bit the victim, and then kind of review it. Do you still have some passion around it? Are you still angry about it? Are you still sad about it? Is there still disappointment in your heart over it? And if so, maybe write a letter showing your willingness to release it. Maybe do some raising and praising over the person who committed this act of treason, in a way, to your own heart. Because forgiveness, forgiveness is essential if we want to move forward. Here's what she says to close out this chapter on forgiveness. It's completely normal to feel resistance when you start doing forgiveness work. Especially when someone has done something truly terrible that has had a disastrous effect on your life or the lives of people you love. Looking back on what this person did, you might be inclined to say... I have a right to be angry. Bad things happened because of this person. And a case could be made for that position. Perhaps you have a right to your anger. But you also have a right to take a screwdriver and stick it into an electrical outlet. <laughs> and if you do so, who's going to be hurt? Keep in mind that we do not practice forgiveness for the benefit of the other person. We do it for ourselves. So let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is but this one infinity of all things, and I call it God. And in God's universe, there is that sweetness of being, that, uh, that natural way of existing in the world in peace and harmony and joy to experience the riches of life, the riches of love. This, this is what God intends for us, all good things. And so on this day, I claim it. I stand in it. I bathe myself in God's natural goodness and if anything stands in the way, if there are any resentments in my heart, if there are any places of unforgiveness, I give them up. I put them on that fire to burn them away from my soul that I might experience more love, more peace, that my heart may open to receive more of the blessings of this world. As it is true for me, of course, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has that capability for forgiveness. Each person here can chip away at any resentments, any judgments that we might have for other people, freeing ourselves to experience life to the fullest. This is one of the laws of prosperity, that as we forgive, 
we open ourselves to receive. And for this, for this I am grateful. For this, I, I simply bask in that knowledge of a life with an open heart. And so I release this prayer into the activity and the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.